Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Tonight's the full moon, in case people are interested in things like that. Last night, Christopher gave his talk on letting go of forms. He said many insightful things and I really appreciate his perspective I find it very valuable not to get caught up in any one mode as being the right way because it's all too easy to get stuck in a a formula the right way to practice one of the main attachments that's warned against is attachments to rites and rituals, doing things just so in just a certain way and getting caught up in them, thinking that that's the answer, not realizing that they're skillful means to a greater end. And with this practice, as was alluded to it's easy to to go overboard in the scientific approach to investigation and lose the richness of a living practice where it's not an analytical dissection but rather making contact with experience in the the teachings of the buddha the buddha dharma as it's as it's been handed down over the centuries, there has been a traditional emphasis on what could be called the masculine approach, the form, kind of rigidity, kind of formula, and it came out of a monastic setting. Even though the Buddha was progressive for his time, in the context of our dealing with issues of masculinity, femininity, uh, perhaps there was room for some enlightenment in that area, if I may, may say so. And I think one particular area that the problem really comes into focus is on the development of concentration. It is an aspect of the practice that's very important. And that's one unique situation of the retreat experience, that we cut off outside stimulation so that we can quiet the minds to see more clearly and develop some concentration that allows us new views, new uh, perspectives on things that we don't usually get in touch with because of the chatter in the mind. 
but this tendency to go for concentration, especially in retreat experience, can lead to striving, acquiring frustration when it's not here. Not to mention striving for liberation and higher goals. How about just staying on a few breaths? In my own practice and hearing different teachers present approaches to practice of development of concentration, just listening to the the metaphors for the development of concentration, you can hear the um, the masculine, the yang energy of it. Things like accurate aim. That was one that I've been um, been given a lot of uh, a lot of input on. Accurate aim, striking the object with awareness, penetrating awareness. Those are the the kinds of descriptions that we have for development of concentration. Sounds pretty aggressive, doesn't it? And as I say, when one gets into that mode of attacking the object, it can create a problem, can create a certain kind of tension and um, aggression to the practice, kind of powering your way to liberation. But at the same time, concentration is, it seems, quite necessary to develop awareness because we usually get clouded over with the things that get in the way. And there is a quality of of concentration that allows a clarity of seeing. Last night, the idea of formulas was, um, was discussed. There is... There's some value to some formulas because they describe a process that's occurring. Even the practice that we're doing here is based on the formula or the suggestion of the, the Sutra on Mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutra. And as well, the way concentration works, and this is seen in my own practice as well as reading about the the development of awareness is that as one makes the effort to be mindful that continuous sincerity of effort leading to moments of mindfulness that are closer and closer together there develops a concentration because the gaps are not not quite as large and from that concentration There's a certain momentum that develops that enables us to see clearly the nature of things and that's what leads to wisdom. And that can be a useful formula. I don't know if formula is the right word, but perhaps description of one way that the practice works. But perhaps there can be different approaches to concentration to the development of this so-called penetrating awareness. And although there can be a tendency to go overboard with the scientific, there can also be a tendency to go overboard with letting go of form altogether. 
the art, the artistic expression is certainly one mode of relating to the world, as is the scientific. And for different minds, there are appropriate vehicles for some minds who have a bent to that analytical mind striking the object an accurate aim might be just the thing that bring them to wisdom and awareness hopefully seen in a greater context than just those particular styles but for others perhaps there can be developed a kind of feminine aspect of concentration. It's something that I've been looking at in my own practice for a while, especially hearing the way the teachings are given often at retreats and retreats that, I, that I've sat at. Looking at my own practice, although I've been able to develop some concentration through this accurate aim and striking the object, the moments that I've had my deepest experiences of concentration have been more of a sensitivity to the experience, more of an opening to what's here, a kind of receiving the object. I've said that a few times in the meditation. Receive the breath with your awareness. It takes some willingness to participate in that. It's not that it's going to follow you while, while you daydream about San Francisco. It takes a willingness to, to be here and then to receive the object as it's coming in. And a key to that being receptive to it, in my own experience again, and I can only speak from, from that place, is somehow having a certain interest in the object, a certain keen interest in it that draws me into it, draws me into the object because it's at times fascinating. And when the mind is drawn into it, there's a a quality of exploring that's not striking at anything, that's not penetrating at anything, but rather a quieting down to listen to the subtle nuances of experience. And so I've been on a, a bit of a campaign to, to balance out that aggressive aspect of concentration with more possibilities of receptivity and listening. But it's not an either-or situation. It's got to be this way or that way. Rather, I find it useful to present a spectrum of possibilities because there's a spectrum of different mind types and it becomes exciting to create our own form what works for us what's going to be developing the real awareness and again just seeing it as one form of many possibilities so there's not an attachment that's formed and reflecting on this uh, a few weeks ago having a discussion with a friend it seems that all the elements have come together in the Dharma coming to the West just at this time, the flowering of the Dharma, at the same time that in the last 
15 or 20 years, there's been a tremendous um, up-level of consciousness around around the feminine aspect of experience becoming more accepted and more validated certainly in many circles not in all circles but these days the the stereotype of macho man is kind of a put down you know oh he's a real macho man now that's passé hopefully it's becoming more passé in more circles of of our culture by feminine i mean that less coercive approach to experience more receptivity more sensitivity more intuitive feeling the experience rather than analyzing it getting in touch with the feelings and it's very important to bring these qualities to the practice as well whether one is trying to develop concentration or simply developing a kind of equanimity around experience this attitude of what could be called openness is something that's that's very important to keep in mind especially these first few days on intensive retreat practice because what we usually do when experience is difficult as it is in these first few days if you've been having a lot of doubts and aches and pains and confusion and wandering and more doubts you're right on schedule that's that's what's happening on the first two or three days and because it's so much of a challenge to stay here with that and to bring ourselves back to the moment we have to remind ourselves to keep an openness of mind because what we usually do around difficult experience is close to it I don't want it how do I get out of this one how do I make things more pleasant and even around pleasant experiences that's what we often do close around them grasping the mind that grasps and wants to take in and so that's such a strong conditioning of mind contracting around experience or contracting away from experience that it takes a lot of unlearning and willingness to try another way that development of openness that's an antidote to the judging mind to the acquiring mind to the striving mind has there been striving in your practice in the last day or two gee when am I going to settle down and get through all this garbage striving at times can be useful if it's a motivation to take a sincere look but it's so easy to get caught overboard and thinking that it's about getting to the end and all the stuff in between is just kind of an endurance test the stuff in between is the practice the way it works at least my approach to practice is in the initial phase of the retreat experience 
creating a spaciousness of mind that allows for experience to be the way it is. A certain okayness with with things, the pain in the knee, or the confusion, or the fear, or the frustration, or the clarity that comes and goes. Creating a spaciousness with all experience so that there can be a healthy environment to then start to explore, to start to investigate. And again, that investigation doesn't necessarily mean hammering at experience, but, but listening with care. There are different qualities that might be helpful to to keep in your repertoire these first few days and then after you're settling in to still have them around when, when they're needed that, um, that I'd like to just mention briefly that help cultivate this, this development of openness an open spacious mind one is a softness around the experience the first few days, pain in particular comes up. Have you noticed it? Sitting still, sitting still because your body's not used to holding itself up that way, or pain that comes up as the numb areas that are so locked in energy that they can't be felt start to open up and the burning and the stabbing starts to feel and be felt. Can there be a softness around that? Or is there a battling, a resisting? Why is this happening now? Why is this getting in the way of the meditation? What's your attitude to that? Is it a problem? Is it a battle? Can you bring a soft awareness to the experience that allows? Can you soften the rest of your body? Can you remember to breathe? Or is there such tension and fear that you've cut yourself off from from that basic necessity of life. And when you find yourself getting really caught up in this tension in this frustration, just to remind yourself, be a little bit more gentle, a little bit more <coughs> kind with the experience the same way with mind states as with pain they're painful too so to have a softness around that instead of such frustration when you find yourself getting agitated that can be the signal rather than the uh, the defeat the signal to do something to bring some more balance to the situation along with softness Another quality of mind that that I've mentioned on other retreats and that I work with in my own practice is a quality of forgiveness. Why is this happening now? This is not fair. You know, I've been a good guy or a good woman. You know, this this shouldn't be happening. And there it is, your shoulders just on fire. And what do we do? We usually send a lot of anger to it. Darn that pain. 
get away. When if we can instead send a little bit of forgiveness to it, a little bit of appreciation for all the work those muscles do in serving us, forgiving ourselves not only for the pain and for the the mind states that arise, but for that lack of non-perfection, that place in us that's not as perfect as we'd like to be. It's so interesting being on the receiving end of, of interviews and hearing about people who, one after another, who can let it be okay for other people to be stuck, but when it comes to my own experience, I should have it more together than that. It's so interesting how we turn about the lens so that we don't see so clearly what's, what's right in front of us, what's right in front of us. Forgiveness for that, that little child inside of us that's just doing the best we can but is still confused and still in pain and still, still doubting. It can be a helpful practice to just relate to that child inside. That little, for me, five-year-old. We're all just five-year-olds in grown-up bodies. How would you relate to a five-year-old just sitting on a bench, crying, confused, in pain, fearful? Would you be angry at it that that's what's going on? Probably you'd reach out with compassion. And yet it's so hard for us to give that same response to ourselves. You might practice seeing that little five-year-old inside. That's just putting out the good intention and being frustrated at the experience. So softness and forgiveness. Connected with forgiveness, or what forgiveness leads to, is a kind of compassion. Compassion to ourselves, compassion to the experience. And it comes out of understanding how deep the conditioning is, what the, the process is that we're trying to undo, that we've gotten stuck in so many times, not just these two days, but it's a lifelong habit or lifetimes long habit of grasping at the pleasant, of pushing away the unpleasant, of identifying with it, I should be better, I should do it this way. How deep it is, how deep the experience goes. And when you see it, it's very humbling, but that's what leads to compassion. How deep that that habit has been ingrained. Then it it puts the task in a new light. It's not something that you can hope to fix in one day. Although each time you meet the situation with that freshness, with that new relationship to the experience, you're deconditioning that reaction. And little by little, there develops a new a new stance with the mind that wanders and all the ways that we we get stuck.
So, softness, forgiveness, <coughs> compassion. Something else that is so helpful that I mentioned on the first night, and it's very easy to forget, is having some humor about the situation. The mind is clearly out of control. (laughs) And when you hear it, or you hear somebody else say it, oh yeah, it's funny. But when you're stuck in it, it's hard to remember to laugh. You know, if there was a way that we could just pipe in, you know, it's out of control. You know. <laughs> Don't take it personally. <laughs> and again and again, when you can bring that that kind of lightness to it, you know, it just brings a cosmic humor to the situation. Yeah, boy, it sure is creative, isn't it? Rather than thinking of it as a mad monkey, which is often the image that's given in traditional Asian uh, teachings. A cute little puppy dog, that's the image that that I like and that's that's very helpful. Just this cute little puppy dog that likes to wander around, get into mischief. Okay, come on back here. (coughs) Nice little dog. Okay, stay. Come on back. Stay. Stay. One teacher, I've said this on past retreats, one teacher calls meditation practice one insult after another. (laughs) It is. And if you can see it that way, then it doesn't have to be my problem. God, this mind is really out of control. If they only knew how much my mind wanders. It happens all the time in interviews. I know people say that they're wandering, but you you don't know what's going on in here. <laughs> One after another, you know, just lining up. <clears throat> it's very helpful to have this perspective where you're just hearing it, so then you kind of catch on. Oh yeah, it's the same with my mind too. So you hear it replayed as you're about to say, boy, my mind is really out there. On one retreat, I... Just did a little, had a little game with the judging mind that I found very helpful, that I've shared at times, because the judging mind is really where you get caught. You know, it's not so difficult to relate to the calm mind or to the to the accepting mind, but the judging mind, darn it! And there you are, not to ha- not having a judging mind or trying to be non-judgmental, <clears throat> and there you see, oh, judging again. Oh no. Another judgment. This one retreat, I played a little game and tacked onto each judging thought a little phrase that comes from Third Zen Patriarch, which is a beautiful piece of of Dharma wisdom. The line in the uh, in the uh, the writing is: "The burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness." Okay, I read that and I said. That makes sense. Okay. So I just decided each time I saw a judging thought, I'd just tack on half of that phrase, the burdensome practice of judging, especially around meal situations where there's a lot of chance for judging, socializing on a nonverbal level. You know. <clears throat> and it was amazing. He's going for a third helping, the burdensome practice of judging. <laughs> 
I'm being so mindful. I hope people notice the burdens and practices of judging. <laughs> oh, what a klutz I am now. The burdens and practices of judging. I'd go through meals and say that 50 or 75 times. And after a while, it became comical. And it wasn't that I was judging more in the retreat. I kind of got a, a sense of that. You know, it wasn't that I was cultivating a judging mind. I was just starting to see it more clearly. But I also got a sense that I wasn't the only one. You know, saw these faces of people who were hoping to look mindful. Do you ever come down to the sitting and take a pose and hope that somebody's opening their eyes and seeing <laughs> what a great yogi you are? It's something we can all relate to. And when we can depersonalize the situation, then it doesn't have to be my mind with my problems. Then there can be a kind of lightness around it, this predicament that we all get caught in. <clears throat> and then what happens is, as I mentioned in some of the groups, instead of looking at me, fixing me up, figuring me out, so that, that I can get it all together and present a successful stance to the world. It's an exploration. It's like, this is your laboratory. This is your field of investigation. This mind, this body, these tendencies. It's all you've been given, so you might as well start with that basic field. It's the one you know best. <coughs> Sometimes it seems the one you know least, but the one that's here. And as you start investigating this mind and body, you start to get an understanding of the nature of having a mind-body process. So you can kind of extrapolate from your investigation to feel more of a connection with all these other mind-bodies walking around. And that's where true compassion gets developed. <coughs> So having a sense of humor is really invaluable. <clears throat> One other thing that I'll just mention around these, these kinds of opening that is especially helpful in the first few days is having an attitude of patience. And it's not the patience that's waiting for the good stuff, kind of you know, drumming your fingers on the table. All right, I've had two and a half days of pain, you know. It's just around the corner, I know it. It's a kind of patience that's allowing for things to be the way they are. A kind of openness. When you can switch it from this, this grasping or this contraction, to an open-handedness, just an evenness that allows for experience to come and go, <coughs> then you start seeing that there's nothing that you need to push away because it'll pass after a while. And there's nothing that you can hold on to because there's no way that it's going to stay. If the thought has come to your, to your mind, my God, it's been so hard for two days, another nine to go. Just notice that impatience because that's what gets in the way of the process. First time I did a retreat, a three-month retreat. First time I did a three-month retreat. After about four days, 
I started counting the hours. <laughs> Another 11 weeks, two days, 16 hours and 20 minutes to go. <laughs> I'll never make it. Luckily, there was a talk given that night on patience. <clears throat> and I again played this, this little game when I saw myself toppling forward to try to get out of what's happening now to the good stuff. It's just around the bend. I use it as a signal. Okay, what's happening now? Settle back. What's happening now? Because it's an interesting thing. As you're willing to settle into it, whatever it is that you're experiencing, it's not quite so terrible. There's just a tremendous instinct to run away hoping to avoid and it just follows us around wherever we go that's perhaps why it's called the shadow all these difficult parts of experience we can't get away too far but when we can settle into the experience open up to it expand to to embrace it well, there's piercing and there's throbbing and there's doubt and there's gloominess and there's energy and there's confusion and there's sleepiness. And it might be unpleasant, but it's bearable. It's a lot more bearable than frightened running in panic. How do I get out of this one? And just being desperate to do anything to get away. So it's it takes a willingness to settle into the experience, but it's really the key to opening up and letting it just pass through you. So these qualities of openness, they create the groundwork, the space from which we can start to discover things. When I talk about openness, I don't mean laziness, laid back you know one, one fear that i have of, of talking too much about this is you know everybody lounging around the next day and kind of you know taking it easy that's not it but it's a willingness to be here for things the way they are not run from them and when you find yourself getting very tight to just soften to just lighten up relax And then as the retreat goes on, as we're more willing to be present for experience, however it's presenting itself, it becomes very, very interesting. Because out of that willingness to look develops a real momentum of, of awareness that leads to concentration, that leads us to be at times fascinated, even by pain, even by by fear, fascinated. It's the forward edge of what we can discover about ourselves so that we're drawn more into the object if that's the mode of, of exploring. Or we're j- diving, jumping right into the experience because there's more that, that's right there to be learned. And then we can develop our own practice. We can find our own form. We can give up all the formulas and just see what works for us to really make contact with experience, to really be familiar with the moment in a way that's fearless, interested, expansive, 
insightful so I just want to close by reading a statement from the Buddha on form it kind of puts all these techniques in perspective he said do not believe in anything simply because you've heard it do not believe in traditions because they've been handed down for many generations do not believe in anything because it's spoken and rumored by many do not believe in anything simply because it's found written in your religious books do not believe in anything merely on the authorities of your teachers and elders but after observation and analysis when you find that anything agrees with wisdom and is conducive to the good and benefit of one and all then accept it and live up to it and so that's our task to find out for ourselves the truth not because anyone's told us but because it's there to be discovered we can have some time for a discussion and questions that might come up from the talk. But after observation and analysis, when you find that anything agrees with reason and is conducive to the good and benefit of one and all, then accept it and live up to it. Another way that that's sometimes put is explore what leads to suffering and what leads to clarity and peace. Take a few moments to sit then, and then we can go for a walk, walking period.
bringing a receptiveness and openness to the moment.
So it's just before 8 o'clock. <coughs> it's a 45-minute walking period. <coughs> and then one last sitting. <coughs> See if you can work tonight and tomorrow, the next day or two, <coughs> bringing some openness into the practice, some softness, especially when you find yourself getting contracted and tense and acquiring you might find that that creates a further space of discovery. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.